Well, praise the Lord, everyone. Good to be in the house of the Lord. You may be seated. Excited about what I feel. God is good. That's right, all the time. And all the time, He is good. I'm glad to be here. Glad to make some new friends today. I like, uh, I like to make new friends. I like to meet new people and make new friends, especially whenever it's, it's wonderful uh, people of God. Those are, the, those are the best kinds of friends, right? <laughs> it, is, it is such an honor to be here. Uh, as your pastor said, we are, uh, we are living in Cocoa, working uh, with Brother Parks there in Cocoa at the church. We have been there for about a, a year now. Uh, we were evangelizing full-time before then, and we are settled down now in the great state of Florida. And what comes along with the great state of Florida is some, um, some great allergies, I've noticed. <laughs> we have moved into Allergy Central, the capital of the world, it feels like. So my allergies have been going crazy, um, especially the past few months. But even this week, I'm, I'm all kinds of stopped up and choked up and and uh, snotted up and all that good stuff. <laughs> but you just bear with me today. I, I, I'm going to pray that my voice hangs with me because I've got all that drainage in the back. And, and you want to switch out? So we're going to pray that the, the voice hangs on and stays strong and doesn't, doesn't leave me. But that's... That's the way it goes. Like as I said, we uh, um, I'm Joel. It's my wife Jenny and our son Evan, who is asleep over there. <laughs> He's fallen into a trance. Uh, but we uh, we evangelized for six years. I am originally from just a little bit about me. Before we get started, I, I want uh, anytime I go into a new place, I want to introduce myself to you so you know a little bit about me. I am originally from Northeast Tennessee. My wife is originally from Michigan. Oh, clapping, yeah. My wife is from Metro Detroit, Michigan, and that's where we've been basing out of for the past uh, past six years before we uh, before we moved to Florida. So it is a change. Uh, Michigan to uh, Florida is a little bit of a little bit of a difference. Yeah, whenever you're driving here and it's ninety degrees at nine o'clock in the morning, and you're thinking in Michigan it's probably you know, scraping a little bit of frost even. <laughs> Even even in the uh, even in the springtime, you got a little frost on the windows, so it's that's the way it goes. But it is good to be here. I am excited about what God's going to do. I always love to uh, always love to be with new congregations and new churches, and and I just love what I see around here. You guys got a beautiful building, got a beautiful uh, congregation, got a beautiful setup. It's, it looks good. You guys are putting in, you're putting in the time and the work, and God is going to honor you for that. Let's go to the word of the Lord. That's right. John chapter number four, verse number 23 and 24. Give honor to your pastor. That is a excellent, excellent, uh, excellent thing that he did with his wife, being able to get away for a while and and celebrate their union, their marriage, their, uh, their family, uh, with, a, with a little bit of a respite, a little time of, of rest and relaxation. And then it's time to come back and back, at the, back into the grindstone, right? Back, in, back at work. But give him honor and the leadership of the church honor today. In John chapter number 4, verse number 23 and 24. But the hour cometh, and now is, 
when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father, the eternal Spirit of God, seeketh such to worship Him. He's actively looking for such to worship Him. And this is fundamental 101 that we all need to understand and that we all need to be reminded of. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. This is a good reminder. Verse number 24, we need to be reminded God is a spirit. God is not flesh and blood. And God certainly is not Santa Claus. God is a spirit and he's an eternal living spirit. And they, any, anybody, any, any of you, me, my wife, anybody out there, if you want to know him, if you want to worship him, you have to come to him on his terms. Not our terms. His terms. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about how to move God. How to move God. God. You may be seated. We must shift between what we have always thought or even known to obedience to the revelation of God and his principles. Now that's a mouthful, so I'm going to read it again. We must shift. We must change our perspective, our paradigm, our our ideas. We must shift between what we have always thought or even known about this living God to complete obedience to the revelation of him and his principles. That's a, that's a, lot, to, that's a lot to chew on right there, but that's, that's something we need to understand about a, a living God. He is a, he, he is a God that never changes. However, He is a God that is constantly moving. He moves among us, but he also, beyond that, he moves throughout time and throughout generations. And you can see it in the Word of God, and you can see it even in our lifetimes. You can see how he has moved throughout time, constantly moving. And in many ways, it seems like in a very different way. And that's what Jesus is, is telling in, this, in our scripture text here. He's telling the disciples, you've had a good understanding of God. You have a, you've had a good understanding and you've even, you've even done a good job of your, uh, of your service to him. But it's time to shift now because there is a shift going on and you need to understand how God is going to move in the future. And you have to move with him. You can't just stay back saying, I want, to, I want to do what I've always done and think that God's going to honor that. Now, what would, yeah, what would the children of Israel had done if, if whenever they were in the wilderness and the cloud, the pillar of fire and the cloud that represented the Spirit of God, whenever it began to move, they were supposed to move with it. 
Now that required a lot. That required a lot of, okay, I've got to, I've got to take down my camp. I've got to get my flock together. I've got to get my children together. I've got, it was something that was very intensive and detailed. What would they, what would it have been like if they had said, well, I just don't feel like moving right now. I see the, I see the cloud moving. I can see it starting to go down the road just a little bit, but I don't think I want to move. I think I want to stay right here. I think, you know what? I think I like the way God moved right here for me personally. So so I think I want to stay right here. It feels like, you know, while we were camped here for a period of time, God, God allowed me to get married and have a family right here. So he blessed me, and I think I want to stay right here. Hmm, what would it have been like if they had, if anyone had, had said during that time, he's starting to move and he told me to move with him, but I just, I kind of like it right here. It feels good. The manna was extra sweet right here. Yeah, it was really good right there. There was something about the manna that was right here that was, that was, it was really good right here. And I don't know what it's going to be like down there, but right here, it's really good. What would have, what have happened was, was that the people who decided to stay would have continued to offer sacrifice to a non-present God. Oh, wow. That, I mean, <laughs> but I'm still offering sacrifice, but there's no God here to receive the sacrifice. So what good is the sacrifice? And that's what God is telling all of us. Whenever I move, I want you to move with me. Whenever I shift through the generations, whenever I shift through time, whenever I go in and out of the age that we're living in, I want you to pack up everything you got and start moving with me. Hmm. I feel the Holy Ghost today. Man, I love it when I go into a church and there's just a few of us, but I feel the Holy Ghost ready to go. Uh, where there's no plowing today, we're already here, we're already ready, and you're already hit, ready to receive the Word of God. I can feel Him moving. I can feel Him moving today, and I can feel Him working on the hearts of all of us here today. Move with me. Let's go. Yeah. Our God is a God that operates according to principle doesn't violate his word and he doesn't violate his principle so he wants us to understand a few things about him just talked i just talked just for a few minutes there about how he is a, he's a non-changing god but he is a moving god so he's wanting us he's wanting his church he's wanting his people he's wanting anybody and everybody that wants to know anything about him to know of his principles. That's the only way you can really know him. You have to know his principles first. And then you can, once you start to know his principles, you start to get a glimpse of who he is and, 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 and wh- how he operates. There's a wise old prophet, uh, 20th century prophet by the, by the name of John Wayne that said, life is hard. It's harder when you're stupid. <laughs> That hurts my feelings every time, but it changed my life when I heard it. (laughs) But it's so true. I I say that jokingly, of course, but that is a very true statement. Life is extremely difficult. It is hard, and it is far harder. It is even more difficult whenever you're stupid or whenever you're uneducated to how. I don't say that disrespectfully. I'm simply saying it's whenever you're uneducated to how life really works, it's really difficult. 
to function in life. And it's the same way with the Word of God and living for God. That's the reason over and over in Scripture you look at the Apostle Paul, one of my favorite characters in the Word of God. You see him over and over. Be not ignorant. Over and over in his epistles. Understand. Understand. Don't be foolish. Be not ignorant. Actively pursue knowledge of him and his ways. So that's what we're going to talk about just for a few minutes today. We're going to talk about a couple of those principles on how to, what was my title, move God. How many want to know how to move God? How many want to know how to move God on my behalf, on your behalf, on behalf of your family, whenever you're in need, whenever you're ready, whenever you need him in an instant? I don't want to go through the Bible study chain. I don't want to wait and have my pastor pray for two weeks. Whenever I'm in need of something immediate, I want to be able to move him immediately. So that's what we're going to talk about. A moving God that wants to move on your behalf. How, how many has ever heard of the sea of forgetfulness? If you've ever been in Christianity, if you've been in Christianity very long at all, you're very familiar with this sea of forgetfulness that we've all heard about. Well, unfortunately... There is much, much, much more to the story than just this theoretical sea of forgetfulness that God will cast all of your sins into and never remember. Number one, it's not scriptural. There's nowhere in scripture that talks about a sea of Sure, it talks about casting it into the depths of the sea, but there is no place that is an actual sea of forgetfulness. Ooh. See, every time I preach a point that, you know, that's one of those sacred cows that we've preached for years and we've heard for years. It's like I'm going back up right now and make sure that he's in the book because I, I ain't about to step out here and start agreeing with somebody. And I'm not sure. Well, it just so happens that I am in the book and I'm going to take you quickly to a, a rather lengthy, rather lengthy, lengthy parable in Matthew chapter number 18, verse number 21. Jesus is ready to drop some word on some people. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me? And I forgive him up to seven times. Well, Jesus said to him, I, I don't say to you up to seven times, but, I, but up to 70 times seven. And about that time, Jesus is looking into the, the eyes of Peter, and he sees that glazed-over look. I have that glazed-over look from time to time. <laughs> I can see Jesus looking into Peter's eyes and saying, well, he, he's not getting this, so I'm going to go a little further here. Let me break this down. Let me go a little bit further. So he goes into a parable, and he says, Therefore, uh, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. Now, that's a chunk of change, I just want to tell you. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that that he be sold with his wife and children, Lord forbid, and all that he had, and that payment be made. But the servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him that debt. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. 
Mm, but, but that, that same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And, and just, a, just, a small, uh, just a small piece of money. And he laid hands on him, grabbed him by the throat, saying, pay me what you owe me. So his fellow servant fell down. Sound familiar? He fell down to his feet and, and begged him, saying, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not. Somebody say, I would not. But went and threw him into prison till the debt should be paid. So when his fellow servants saw what he what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should, should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. And then Jesus wraps it all up right here. He says, so my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. I'm reading from the New King James Version. If you're reading from the King James Version, it might, it might sound just a little bit different. But it doesn't sound like that Jesus got the memo on a sea of forgetfulness. It doesn't sound like Jesus. In fact, it sounds like Jesus understands a principle that is if you come to God, and He relieves you of your burden. He forgives you of your sins. And He casts all of that uh, sin into whatever sea you want to call it. And He chooses to forget it. Yes, He does choose to forget it. But it's not for, forever forgotten if you simply walk away from that encounter with God and you choose to hold a grudge against someone else. Unfortunately, what that means is God has no choice but to go to whatever sea you created and, and, and pick up every single sin that you were delivered from. All of the lying, all of the cheating, all of the adultery, all of the drunkenness, every single thing that you left at that altar. He goes to pick it up. He walks over to you as you're holding your righteous grudge against your brother. And he says, unfortunately, because you don't understand my principles, I'm going to have to dump this in your lap. Now you deal with it. And we can sit around and we can dance and shout and speak in tongues and talk about how good God is. But the whole time God said, no, you don't understand something about me. I will forgive you all day long if you keep forgiving as well. And that's what I'm saying today. Let's understand something about God. Let's understand a principle about God. Something that moves Him. What moves Him is forgiveness. 
Forgiveness will move the Spirit of God. Just whenever you feel that, that, that self-righteous anger come upon you and you think that you're right and you think it's time, and you may very well be right. But if you have that nature about you says, I ain't dropping this. I'm going to hold this grudge against my brother. Don't they know what they did to me? They need to know what they did to me, so I'm going to hold a grudge. Well, what that does is it locks up God from moving in your life and on behalf on your behalf but if you start to release it if you start to forgive if you start to say they did me wrong but guess what they did Jesus wrong so I'm going to look at them and I'm going to say okay I'm going to let it go I'm going to forgive that causes the spirit of God to begin to move I can picture it in my mind's eye right now. The Spirit of God starts to sift and move and say, I gravitate, I'm pulled toward forgiveness. In the Word of God, we read about two, about two thrones, right? We read about the judgment seat. Mm, that's a scary place. That judgment seat. Well, fortunately for all of us, God is not currently occupying the judgment seat. Thank you, Jesus. He's over here in this other seat. He's over here in this other seat called the mercy seat. (laughs) That's where he's taking up residence right now. He likes to sit over here in the mercy seat. But what we like to do whenever we become posh, uh, professional Pentecostals and cool Christians, what we like to do is we like to look around at the seats available and say, well, that mercy seat's cool, but I've been there, done that. But that judgment seat over there looks pretty, pretty inviting. So I'm going to walk over to that judgment seat. I'm going to climb up in that chair. And it's so obvious that it's not for me. Those oversized armrests are just way too high. My feet don't even reach the ground. I'm swinging them before me. And, and, and all of a sudden, we take, we take possession of that seat like we're the ones. It's time for us, professional Pentecostals, to start casting judgment on anybody and everybody. I've been there. I've been there. I've been there in my walk. I go through those, especially whenever you're younger. You go through those phases when you're younger. You know everything. God smiled on you and you think he's only smiling on me and he's not going to smile anybody else. So if you're going to get a taste of Jesus, it's going to be through me. And I'm going to walk with a strut. (laughs) And you cross me, I'm going to deny you the move of God that I can. Meanwhile, Jesus is over here in the mercy seat looking over at you in the judgment seat going, who do you think you are? Hey, big boy, who who do you think? I'm not even in that seat yet. And we're looking back at him like, "Um, I, I thought I had all power and authority that you've given me as a righteous son of God. He's looking at us laughing like, you fool. So what he wants us to do is climb down out of that judgment seat, walk over to him, repent of our sins, and then climb up in his lap in that mercy seat and start seeing each and every person that we come in contact with through his eyes, his eyes of forgiveness, his eyes of compassion, his eyes that say that I I know they're doing wrong right now, but they're going through something, so we're going to get to the root of it and figure out what's happening. He doesn't need his body casting judgment on anyone. Mm. 
That's what moves God. That's what moves the Spirit of God. That's something that is changing my life. Every time I implement that principle every single day, and I, I promise you, it's a chore sometimes. It is something that is, an, is truly an exercise. Just like you go to the gym to exercise. Sometimes it doesn't feel good to go to the gym. Sometimes it hurts to stretch yourself. Sometimes it hurts to stretch yourself and forgive when every ounce of you says, I don't want to forgive that person. And God is saying, stretch yourself. Stretch just a little bit. Because if you stretch yourself and you live under the principle that I've, that I've given to you, then there's nothing that I won't do in your life. There's no time, of, there's no desert in your life where I won't show up and meet your need. That's principle number one. Forgiveness. Oh, forgiveness. Sometimes, let me just throw this in here. Sometimes, in fact, more times than we realize, we got to forgive ourselves. And sometimes we walk in judgment of ourselves constantly. Yeah, I want the Word of God to judge me, but I don't have to judge myself constantly every single day on my past after God has delivered me from my past. I don't have to walk constantly every day sad and beat up and, dis- and destroyed because I, of what I did in the past. I want to tell you something. God is faithful and just to forgive. That means whenever you repent of your sins, you walk around, you change your life, Life, it's instant. He has forgiven you. So forgive yourself. Sometimes that's why God doesn't move in our lives because we're holding on to so much bondage that He's wanting to release and let go, but we're, we're keeping it for ourselves. Forgiveness. All right, moving on now. Let's go to principle number two. That, I only have two principles, so we're not going to be here all day. The potluck is, 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 uh, is smelling good. It's going to be good. So, so we're going to quickly get to it. So let's move now to principle number two. Luke chapter 17, verse number five. And the apostle said unto the Lord, increase our faith. It seems... Seems like no small feat there. Seems like a reasonable request. And the Lord said, if, if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you might say unto this sycamine tree, be thou plucked up by the root, and be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. No doubt many of us have heard this scripture before. But no doubt, because I'm guilty of this, We've put the wrong emphasis or we've placed the emphasis on the wrong part of Scripture here. We've placed the emphasis on the size of faith. And it's not. Because if the size of the faith were the emphasis, the size of the faith being small faith, then we would live our entire lives striving to achieve what? Small faith. It's not the will of God that we live our whole lives pursuing small faith. The emphasis here should be on a different, a different word. The emphasis should be right there after mustard. It should be on the word seed. 
The emphasis of this scripture and the emphasis of your faith should be on the fact that it should be, it needs to be a seed. Now, what's the purpose of a seed? The purpose of a seed is not to go into a brown paper bag as you pick it up from the store, uh, throw it in the back of the truck and forget about it. The purpose of a seed is not to be loosely thrown out onto pavement or, or, or concrete and expecting something to happen whenever it's not going to happen. The purpose of a seed is to be planted. Is to be planted where? In nourishing ground. The purpose of a seed is to make sure, the purpose of your faith is to make sure that your seed of faith doesn't remain small faith. It's to make sure that my seed is planted in proper, nourishing, life-giving ground and and that it receives the nourishment and the rain that it's supposed to receive. That's when God God says, that's where you need to understand the next principle. Once you understand that your, your faith to everyone has been given a measure of faith. But what does everyone do with the faith? And now that's dependent on the person. But whenever you plant the seed of faith, the next step, the next principle to understand is nourishment. Rain. The rains from heaven must fall down upon that seed consistently. Now, how do we get the rains from heaven to fall down consistently upon our seed of faith so that it grows into strong faith? We do something that we use all the time in our lexicon, in our Christian vernacular, but we really don't understand what it really means. How many knows that praise is not worship? And worship is not praise. Now, we use that from time to time interchangeably, and that's not wrong. It's just we're limited by our English language, and we, and we talk about this as our praise and worship part of service. Nothing wrong with that, but we do need to understand that praise is not worship, and worship is not praise. Worship, very important, is obeisance. It is a singular bowing down to your God, your creator. But praise is very different. Praise is powerful. Praise is not singular. It's not just singular. The entire service that we as ministers we try to construct and we try to, to make for the body of believers to come together in. The, the, just about the entire service is geared toward praise. It's not geared toward worship. Now, sometimes we go into a phase of worship. And how many have ever experienced that before? You've been praising. You've been, you've been praising the, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Then all of a sudden, something sweeps through the house and you go into a moment of, I don't realize that anybody else is around me. Suddenly, I'm going into this singular interaction with my God. That is worship. And that happens sometimes. And oh, that's very important. But that's more important to, to happen in your alone time. That's not necessarily the gearing of this corporate purpose. 
what we gear the service for is, is for a corporate praise. But what is praise? I told you what worship is. I told you what that, I, I, I defined that. Joel Carver, why in the world do you bring this to us and you, and you make us feel like we have to have an advanced degree in theology just to come to church? I'm not. I'm not trying to make you feel that way. I'm trying to help you to understand whenever we break down these principles in common understanding, it's way more simple than we realize it is. What is praise? Praise is celebration. It's that simple. It's celebration. That's the reason every time you look at a ball game, every time you see a crowd, a hundred thousand plus at a football game, and you see them going nuts, you don't see them just rooting on their team. You see a form of praise. And that's the reason everybody in that crowd isn't standing there like this either. Good touchdown, guys. No, they're like this. <laughs> oh, it's starting, to, it's starting to come up out of me. It's a celebration. It's something spiritual that happens that manifests itself on top of your flesh and you can't contain yourself anymore. My football team just did something good. I'm going to celebrate them for doing something good. Well, guess what? It's that simple. My God just did something good. Well, I'm going to celebrate Him for doing something good. I'm going to dance when it's time to dance. I'm going to lift my voice when it's time to lift my voice. I'm going to say, thank you, Jesus. That's all praise is. That's it. That's all it is. Now, you can call it emotionalism all you want. You can call it this all you want. But really, that's what it's all about. Praise is simply celebration for who he is and how good he is. And what he's done for me. And here's the kicker. What I want him to do for me. Oh, that might be the key right there to unlocking some stuff. Whenever I say, I need you to do something for me, I don't just say, I want you to do this for me, Santa Claus. He says, I'm not Santa Claus. If you're coming to me, you got to come to me on my terms. So I say, okay, I got this. I got this now. I understand this. If I'm coming to you, if I need something from you, then I'm going to start moving. I'm going to start speaking. I'm going to start celebrating. I'm going to do what you're asking me to do. Come on, just do that just for a moment. Clap your hands. However, there's always the theological professional in our midst, the doctor of theology that steps back with their arms crossed saying, well, pray tell how and and you're saying that God can move and you can move him. Well, how can you move an omnipresent God? Omnipresent means he's everywhere. Everywhere. I mean, he's literally in this part of the air. 
And this part of the year, he's everywhere present. Now, the theological student and doctor among us would say, how can you move a God to be more present than he always already is? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because we, as Bible-believing apostolic Pentecostals, we understand that God comes in more than just one flavor. I like the word flavor. Taste and see, right? God, sure, He is omnipresent. There is, of course, the omnipresence of God. But the omnipresence of God is nothing more than the observational Spirit of God. The moment you walked in that that back door right there, the moment you walked in, He was already here observing you as you walked in. Some of you walked in with a need. Some of you walked in with a limp. Some of you walked in with different things in your, in your mind, in your body that you need from him. But he didn't do nothing. Why? Because he was observing your need. But as apostolic, Pentecostals, Bible-believing men and women of God, we believe that he is not just the omnipresence of God. He is also, and this is something very important for all of us to understand, He also comes in this second flavor called the manifest presence of God. Well, guess what the manifest presence of God is? The manifest presence of God is whenever he steps out of his observational role and says, now I'm going to do something. Now I, I, I saw the need over there, but now I'm going to do something for the need. Well, what turns him? What turns him from observing to manifesting? It's celebration. It's celebration. It's praise. That's the reason we believe. Not just emotional hype. We believe in preaching. Celebrate your God. Celebrate what He's done for you. Celebrate what what you want Him to do for you. So whenever you come in here, we're going to keep hammering on that. We're going to keep pushing that. Not so it makes us feel good about ourselves. It's so that we make Him feel good. I want him to say, mm, that's a sweet smell I smell coming up out of there. I want to move among them. I, I, want to, I want to cause God to say, I don't want to just see their problems anymore. I want to go to them and fix some problems. I want, I want our God, especially in 2022, I want Him to feel that urge, that pull from His people, from all of us that says, don't just see my, my needs, fix my needs, and do it by moving among me. Do it by moving upon me and in me. Yeah. Celebration. 
See, suddenly, I feel like that I can, I can do something for God. I can understand God. I can, I can walk with Him. I can, I can come to church without having an advanced degree in theology. I don't feel like that I have to, I have to go through all of these steps to finally get to an understanding, which all of those steps are fine. Learn as much as you can. But let's break it down a little bit here and understand this is far more basic than we realize. He wants us to understand the value in opening up our mouth and letting it go. I I could give you sports analogy after sports analogy. How many teams were doing bad, but the crowd stayed with them. The crowd stayed. They just weren't feeling it that day. But the crowd said, come on, guys. Come on. You can do it. And all of a sudden, something happened in them. It stirred something. And they pulled up and they managed to win the game. That's what God is saying. Understand what happens in the spirit realm, in the spirit world, whenever you open up your mouth and you begin to celebrate. It literally starts breaking the the atmosphere around us. And wicked spirits that want to keep you bound start trembling. And they have no choice but to leave. Because God says, all right, now I'm moving. Now it's time for me to move. You occupied this area for long enough. God says, now it's time for me to move. Because I got some praisers in my house. some praisers. I got some celebrators. I got some people that want to move me and I'm going to honor them because I honor my word. I honor my principles. I honor what I said I was going to do. How many of you have ever been in a church that, that, that it just felt like it was, it was just on cruise control and we're just sleeping. It's not very, it's not, not really happening. But all of a sudden, something happens on another side of the building, another side of the room, and, and somebody just, woo! Somebody just lets that come up out of them. And you're over here, you know, just kind of like nodding off a little bit. But then all of a sudden that that war hoop, as it were, comes across. And you're like, whoa, what just happened? It wakes you up just a little bit. Well, I got news for you. That's not just your eardrum flexing in your head. That's not just your eardrum saying, whoa, I wasn't ready for that. The Bible says that he breathed into man a spirit, the breath of life, created a spirit within. Well, that means that God breathed into each and every one of us spirits out of himself, out of his spirit, eternal sovereign. He said, I'm going to give you something that is internal. I'm going to put it in you. Well, whenever you hear that, That's also not just your eardrum. That's also your spirit within you leaping. That's your spirit that God gave you leaping within you and responding to that noise that just shook the air. Now, if you do that, if your spirit does that, what does God's spirit do? Whenever somebody 
gets into the zone, gets into the moment. He says, you know what? I don't care who's around me. I don't care what's happening. I want to let you know what I think of you. Jesus, I love you. I thank you. Well, guess what happens? God's spirit says, whoop, (laughs) it's time to go over here just for a little while. It's time to go over here and see what I need to do in his life. It's time to come over here and see what I need to do in her life. That's what the spirit of God wants to do in this last day for each and every one. Whosoever will come and taste, come and let the principles of the Word of God begin to operate in your life as we all stand. So that's what we're going to do just for a minute before we go have some good food and enjoy the company of one another. We're going to practice these, these, these principles. We're going to start with forgiveness because that's the one most people want to avoid. I'm going to be honest with you, most people... Me, myself, include that. We, we want to avoid that, that forgiveness thing. But you can't. You've got to constantly evaluate your heart and see if there's a root of bitterness starting to, starting to really uh, dig in there. And that takes a lot of introspection. That takes a lot of self-evaluation. It takes a lot of uh, even looking back over your life and somebody that wronged you in your childhood. Maybe you're carrying it for years, for decades, and, and you don't realize that you're carrying it. But it's hindering every relationship in your life. And it's even, it's even hindering your advancement in God. God says, I understand it's hard to release some things. But this is something that we have to do. Remember, forgiveness doesn't necessarily mean trusting. Just because you forgive somebody that has wronged you doesn't mean you need to be led like the lamb to the slaughter and trust them and let them abuse you all over again. No, that simply means I'm going to walk away from this scenario. I'm going to walk away from this relationship. I'm going to let you, uh, I'm going to forgive you and let you go. But also, I'm going to walk I'm going to walk with some people now that are more uplifting and encouraging. That's what Paul said to do. Think on these things. So that's principle number one that we're going to exercise. As we go before the Lord today, I want you to lift up your hands and begin to offer up a sacrifice. And that sacrifice is yourself and your will. God, forgive us today. Forgive us, Lord, for holding grudges. Forgive us, Lord, for hanging on to those things, Lord, that are, that are separating us from you. Help me, Lord, to release that, to forgive others, to forgive those who have wronged me. They've, they've, they've probably spit in your face. Well, they spit in your face, Jesus, I know. So they're going to spit in our face. They, they, prob- they could have hit you even. They could have they slapped you. They could have really harmed you. Well, guess what? They did it to Jesus too. And His words were, uh, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So forgive. Let it go. Release. God, forgive me, Lord. 
Forgive me, Lord, for holding grudges against anyone that has wronged me. Forgive me for holding grudges in those times even whenever I just didn't have all the information and I just I jumped to a conclusion. Forgive me, and I'm going to forgive and let it go. I'm not going to hold that grudge any longer because I want, I want to be in fellowship with you, God. And above all, I don't want you to hold, hold my charges against me for all of eternity. I know what you said. I know what your word says. If I don't release it and let it go, then you're